You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Trade to announce. They've added a flamethrower of an arm to the bullpen. We have to go to win this game. I kind of live by saying, if you ain't got no haters, you ain't popping. So hate away. Happy Monday morning. Welcome to another edition here of Halford and Bruff Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd, joined once again by my co-host Israel Fair. As uh, Halford and Bruff continue to enjoy extended summer vacation, we're here all week, Halford and Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Also by Johnstone's Barbecues. You don't pay more to shop with the experts at Johnstone's Barbecues. Open five days a week with two locations to serve you. Visit Johnstone's.com. Coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500. Five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650. 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. And, you know, we were having fun with that Robert Sala clip. Uh, if you ain't got haters, you ain't popping. The problem <laughs> with that formulation, though, is that it implies that if you do have haters, you must be popping. And based on the volume of haters that Canada soccer is going to have today, I don't think that's true. Because <laughs> they have haters. They are definitely not, not popping. Not popping. Definitely this not morning, popping. Not, not popping this morning. I said Happy Monday. Uh, it is not a Happy Monday for Canada soccer or the uh, Canadian women's national team. We'll get into all of that in just a second here in what happened. Uh, but first, I'll set up the show a little bit at six thirty. Haley McGoldrick, uh, she covers women's soccer for Sportsnet and the Women's World Cup for Sportsnet. She will joining us, join us to uh, talk about the result for Canada, what it means going forward. At 7 o'clock, Adnan Verk from the MLB Network, the Major League Baseball trade deadline tomorrow. Jays have already made a move. Does sound like it could be a little quiet around the league. We'll talk to Adnan about that. At 7.30, Dave Campbell. He's the Edmonton Elks color analyst uh, on 680 Ched in Edmonton. They set a record for home futility, the Elks did, of course, uh, helped by the BC Lions this weekend. So we'll get into that with Dave Campbell at 7.30. Of course, at 8.30, we will do what we learned. So never too early to get your what we learned submissions in. Uh, hashtag WWL, what you learned. It's always good to do it over uh, after a weekend as well, because it's what you learned in the last 72 hours of sports over the whole weekend. So hit us up with that. 6.50, 6.50, but we got a lot to get to, so let's get right to it. Here is what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? You missed that? What happened? What happened brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance, making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training, visit bccsa.ca. And we got to start here. An absolute debacle for Canada at the Women's World Cup this morning. They lose 4-0 to co-hosts Australia. They're eliminated from the tournament. 
They needed a result. They needed a draw or a win. Instead, they're never really in it. They go down 1-0 in the ninth minute. Never threatened to get back. A disastrous performance. Disastrous effort. Made even worse by the fact Australia's best player, one of the best in the world, Sam Kerr, didn't play in this one. Was was available, but did not actually end up playing in this game. Uh, it is an absolutely crushing loss for Canada. They looked poised after the win against Ireland to potentially go through. And instead, it is an incredibly disappointing end to their tournament uh, at the hands of Australia. No doubt there's uh there's not there's no sugarcoating this one. The thought there is really isn't. maybe the worst case scenario was heading into the game that Sam Kerr was going to play and mm-hmm. that Australia would have its best player back for for this game uh which is was already going to be a massive one for the hosts or one of the hosts at this World Cup needing to win to move on to continue their run uh, at this World Cup, and uh, Canada goes down early, uh, concedes within the first 10 minutes. I watched the whole second half. Uh, they didn't. They were down 2 yeah. nothing at halftime. They did not push, pose much of a threat at all uh, at halftime. Pretty much the entire forward line, including Christine Sinclair, was substituted. Didn't make much of a difference, and, and here we are, uh, at least a few days of unpacking what happened here. Oh yeah, uh, because this is this is a tough one. This is a real, real gut punch. And any sort of optimism that came from that second half against Ireland, mm-hmm. where the substitutions worked out, they were able to score a couple of goals from open play. That's all. That's all gone now. Uh, it's a it's a devastating blow. Yeah, and I gotta say, I mean, I when when this result happened on the last match day in this group and Nigeria beat Australia, that really did Canada no favors. And look, ultimately, they still had every chance to go through. But my concern there was with Australia suffering a major upset at home against Nigeria, that event essentially Nigeria had awoken maybe a bit of a sleeping giant at this tournament in the co-host Australia, put their back against the wall, and you knew they were going to come out knowing, hey, we got to win. It's not enough to sleepwalk through this game and get a, a, a draw for Australia. They knew they had to come out and get a win at home, in front of their fans, and that's exactly what they did. They were firing on all cylinders in this one. Canada, simply no match uh, for Australia. And look, there's a lot to get into here, and there's lots of blame to go around for a result like this. And I think we can talk about the talent on the pitch. We can talk about some of the coaching decisions from Bev Priestman, as you said, subbing off the entire attacking group basically and you know after the Ireland match we were talking about it and we were impressed with her ability to make those kind of wholesale changes that happen it really worked there but I do the flip side of that is also you know if you're making wholesale changes at half that's kind of a recognition that you didn't get it right (laughs) at the start of the game right it's kind of a recognition that actually you know what this the the strategy I chose before the match is not working out and I've got to try to change things on the fly. And you're playing a dangerous game if that's how you're living, right? If your plan is, well, we can always make these big changes at halftime. Well, sometimes you're going to be down 2-0 at half to a really, really good team. And the changes you make aren't going to be able to to overcome that deficit. Sure. Then this was a much higher hill to climb than Ireland. So that puts them in a tough spot. But if we're just going on the field and we'll, we'll dig into the, the larger off-the-field yep. conversation in a sec. This is a team even going back to their Olympic triumph a couple of years ago. They're not 
a dominant goal scoring nope. team. They never have been. Even with Christine Sinclair at her peak, she is a strong goal scoring midfield player. And the players, uh, even the young players in this squad, the players that have come through uh, the program, uh, you know, mostly inspired by Christine Sinclair in a lot of ways. They are very good on the ball. Mm-hmm. They are good at moving the ball up the pitch. Uh, you looked at the possession numbers today. Canada, strong. It's over 60%. Overwhelming possession. Now, some of that is that they were down early, and Australia, especially after second goal, doesn't have to push nearly as hard. Yep. But they are pretty good on the ball. They can possess the ball. Uh, they had uh, a bunch more passes than Australia as well, and they've just really never had a out-and-out striker, at least, or maybe never is putting it, but, like, this this generation, the, this yep. this most recent era where they are very competitive at the Olympics, they are less competitive at the World Cups, and it's often because they run into teams that have goal-scoring prowess. Yep. That's, that's always been... When they beat the Americans, with the exception of the high-scoring game that they played in London, which was a loss, but they have these back and forth with the Americans. When they beat them, it's generally Mm 1-0. They probably score via penalty. That's how they beat them at the Olympics. That's the the on-field hole that they have. And then maybe at this World Cup, not quite as defensively sound as they were at the Olympics. And if you have those two extremes, you know, the polar parts of the field, at the front of the field, you're not putting yourself into positions to yep. score enough, and even when you are, you're not you're not getting that lethal finishing that you need. And then on the other end of the field, with just having to be almost perfect defensively to get by, it makes it really difficult, and it doesn't take away from the talent level that's out there, especially in that midfield yep. and in those you know wing areas, attacking midfield areas, but. You're not you're not scoring enough goals. No, and I mean, there's, there's no really. Way I mean, there. they get two against uh, Ireland, but one of them is an own goal, right? And so, really, just one goal to show for this tournament from a Canadian player, you're never going to be successful uh, with that type of goal scoring record and that type of goal scoring resume. And I think it 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 illustrates the challenge for Canada going forward as a women's soccer team because. With the way the the rest of the world is improving and catching up to Canada and to some of the other traditionally strong teams uh, in women's soccer, it, I don't think it's going to be enough to be really good on one side of the ball, right? You're going to have to be able to win games in different ways. You're going to have to have elite players all over the pitch, right? Not just in the midfield, but on the back line and up front and up top as well. People who can create those goals out of nothing, because I think what we're seeing, what we saw today is if your whole plan is basically, or your best shot of winning is lock things down defensively and then hope for a deflection for an own goal, hope for a set piece, a penalty that you can convert, I don't know that that's sustainable anymore uh, for Canada in women's soccer with the way the talent level is. And yeah, it's just with Christine Sinclair, you know, playing a more, uh, you know, less up top and more in midfield now. Yeah, more of a support role. Also just being her age and where she is in her career, that other reliable source of goal scoring hasn't really developed for them. And there's people, you know, Jordan Heidema, still young, right, Mm -hmm, could mm -hmm. could develop into that. But you need to have that depth and you need to have that quality up top to match up with the real powerhouses in women's soccer, I think. Yeah, and they're they're getting better and better. Yeah. Uh, This is, like we said, uh, this is an Australia team without – 
their best player and, and quite possibly the best player in the world. Yep. Um, you look up Sam Kerr's goal scoring stats uh, at the club level and mm-hmm. the international level, but the club level, she is goal per game. Even Christine Sinclair in her prime was not no. that. Um, she is a lethal goal scorer. Um, the, the, the type of player that every team would love to have. And this is the result Australia, Australia gets without her. Yeah. Uh, so they must be feeling that's pretty, pretty good uh, heading into the knockout stage. So, look, we're talking about some of the selection from Bev Priestman, the players on the pitch, where they need to be better, what they didn't do well at this tournament. But obviously, lots of blame to go around for a result like this. And it has to start at the top with Canada soccer, right? We've referred to it, but... I mean, we got to get into it. This is a, a huge part of the story. You cannot look at this result in isolation from everything happening with the program and say, well, Bev Priestman and the players didn't get it done today. That can be part of the story. That can be absolutely be true. And we can focus on just the soccer and just the on-pitch stuff, but you can't ignore what's going on and what was going on leading into this tournament with Canada soccer. And look, as much as the players did a pretty valiant job of trying to focus on, okay, you know, we're going to put aside our battle with Canada soccer. We're going to put aside our disagreements and how we feel we've been disrespected and undermined by them. And we're just going to focus on the tournament. Realistically, that was always probably going to be too tall a task for anyone. When you consider how much they have had to fight with their Federation and how public it has been, It's just so difficult to silo that away when it comes time to actually perform. And it's not just it's not just the public battle and the kind of mental fatigue toll that probably took on them. It's also the the kind of cold, hard facts of how they were not allowed to prepare for this tournament. Like they only played four competitive matches this year leading up to the tournament. It's really, really difficult to be in your top form going into this type of tournament, the World Cup when you haven't had a chance to play regular competitive matches together as a team, you haven't had a chance to gel and maybe find some of the solutions to the goal-scoring issues that you have on your side, right? And that's the easy, the, the, the easiest and most obvious example, but I'm sure you can find tons more about just not having the resources available, not having the financial support from Canada Soccer, and this is the result. Like the, A result like this was always at least possible, not guaranteed, mm-hmm. but that you would see an embarrassing result like this, given what can, how Canada soccer has operated and the position they put the women in, they were courting disaster like this, and it turned out that's exactly what they got. The number one thing you have to do for any sports team heading into any sort of competitive tournament like this one is, were they set up for success? And in this case, the answer is so glaringly obvious. So obviously they no. Yeah. That then you really start to pick through, well, why that is. And in this case, we know we talked about it last week. Mm -hmm. We were filling in on this very show that those back and forths between team and federation were still ongoing. Mm -hmm. And uh, the line in the statement that stood out was, we have been put into a position, this is paraphrasing, but we have been put into a position where we have to decide between personal compensation for playing at the World Cup or the resources required to hold training to camps try to prepare and practices that we need to stay competitive and I know this is more of a big picture 
takeaway than simply a loss here and a, and a really brutal, brutal loss for Canada, eliminating them from this World Cup. But there is an idea, and it is a growing frustration, especially on the women's side, because they have kept the Federation afloat in uh-huh. a lot of ways while the men's team was off on an island until very recently. And, you know, that was also that, you know, that's a separate conversation. I'll keep it with the women. They have been keeping the Federation afloat by competing at the Olympics and being in the World Cup and hosting the World Cup not too long ago. And by pretty much every measure on the field is, you know, led by Christine Sinclair, but there, there's that whole generation of players as well that played alongside her and are role models and do all of the things that you would want from athletes representing Canada. Their fear has always been, we are going to fall behind, not just the United States, but the other emerging countries in this sport. And we have, you know, because maybe of the proximity to the United States, who are far and away the, the drivers of women's soccer, going back to the late 90s and starting a professional league and having those iconic players from those teams in the late 90s, that, I think, stoked some of that feeling in Canada because yep. we have the proximity to the United States and a lot of great rivalry games with the United States. Like, that is like the women's side... Uh, in hockey, mm-hmm. the back and forth between the American women and the Canadian women is uh, is is legit, is real, and goes now multi-generations of teams. It's something that gets passed down. But that's not enough to keep them competitive because the world has come at this point. It's not even the world is coming anymore. It's no, the world it's has come. It's here. And this was always a really significant fear. In Canada soccer, not having their house in order is now not only hurting this team that has kept them in the conversation for 10, 15 years. I mean, Canada would have been completely off the map in world oh, soccer absolutely. Without, without the, the women's, women's team. team. Yeah, they, they would have been like many, many countries where they don't have a competitive men's team and they don't have a yep. women's team to speak of. Uh, they've been in the global conversation a little bit more because of the women's team. And now, because they haven't gotten their house in order on issues that have been addressed. I covered the Women's World Cup when it was here in 2015. We were having some similar conversations mm-hmm. about that. And that would, the idea there was building off the performance in London at the Olympics that captured people's imagination. And that, you know, that game against the United States that I cited earlier was a, a huge... That's the type of game people remember where they were um, when they watched it. And, and that whole tournament, and it was building off of that. And the team didn't have... A huge run, but they did make it to to the knockout stage, and a lot of these questions were percolating. Yep. Well, now the men's team is trying to be competitive as well, and they they couldn't figure it out on the women's side for a number of years. Now they're trying to do both at the same time, and I don't believe that people's faith in them figuring it out is very high. And I think the frustrating thing for me is on both sides. You look at from Canada winning gold, the gold medal at the Olympics two summers ago now, from that point through the men's qualification run through CONCACAF, that was a kind of blessed time, right, of Canadian soccer where everything was going right. The women won a, a massive major tournament, huge success. The men win the CONCACAF qualifying to go to the World Cup. Since that, it feel and there was so much momentum and so much excitement about soccer in this country on both sides of the program. Since then, 
you know, okay, look, the men, they go to the World Cup. That's great. Disappointing. Disappointing performance at the World Cup, ultimately. I think it's fair to say that. Since then, it's been extremely disappointing. And there's been the squabbling and the back and forth. And then for the women, not able to continue to, you know, I, I know it's not the same tournament, but kind of defend their status as the winners of the last major tournament uh, at this one. And it's just an inability for Canada soccer to capitalize on the momentum from really good results and solidify your status as a soccer nation. And it stands, it, instead, it feels like this massive backsliding on both sides where instead of it being kind of the start of a golden era for Canada soccer, it's, well, was that just a blip? Was that a fluke, right? And I don't think we should be having that. It's really frustrating that that's the conversation uh, we're having right now instead of, wow, look at the next generation coming up after Christine Sinclair, right? Instead, we're saying, Man, that could be Christine Sinclair's last game with Canada. And how disappointing is that? That was going to be so. That is Sophie Schmidt's mm-hmm, last game mm-hmm. with Canada. And how incredibly disappointing uh, is that? And they, I think that's the most frustrating thing to me is we were on this up, upward trajectory, and now the future seems it, it, it's increasingly looking like that stretch of time was the outlier. And now who knows what's going to happen for either of these programs? Uh, a couple of texts coming in. This one from Aaron from Quitlam. He says. Sports and playing for your country is an honor like no other. Complaining about circumstance, whether you're right or wrong, is not a path to success. No doubt women's and men's soccer deserve to be treated equally and fairly, but it takes a certain mental strength to shelf this in a major tourney. Canada soccer is to blame for creating the distraction, and the Canadian players are accountable for a lousy effort today. Both parties need to find a better path forward. I think you're 100% right that you can hold the players and the coaching staff accountable in some ways, for the result today, right? It's not as if I, we're not trying to sit here and saying, you know, say that there was nothing they could have done better. Like, believe me, both everyone involved, there's plenty of blame to go around. As I said, everyone involved can wear this a little bit. And you're right, Aaron, that it does take a tremendous amount of mental strength to kind of shelf the battle you're having and just focus on the pitch. I think the Canadian players tried to do that. I ultimately probably don't think they were fully able to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you do have to hold both sides accountable, but in doing that, you can't you, you, you can't let Canada soccer off the hook. Yes, the players had to do everything they could to try to move past it and battle through it. They weren't able to. That is on them to some degree. But you also have to recognize the situation that Canada soccer was putting them in. That, like, it, it's a really tricky thing because I'm really not trying to let the players off the hook at all. But you have to be so careful about going too far the other way and then letting Canada soccer off the hook as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, other text here, everything you were saying about Canada soccer federation is fair. However, Christine Sinclair needs to bury that penalty against Nigeria. If she scores that penalty, Canada goes through. What I'll say there though, is that's the margin of error that Canada is one penalty. Yeah. That that's where they're at from a larger perspective of how can this team compete? And when it comes down to, and it has for a, a lot of years, you look at their success at the Olympics, semifinal, penalty goal, gold medal game, penalty goal, win in a penalty shoot. Mm-hmm. When that's that's the margin. And Christine Sinclair has done just about everything for the Canadian national women's yeah. team for two decades now to the point that, like you said, Jamie, uh, odds are uh, she seemed, uh, based on her actions post-game today, that this is it for the, mm-hmm. for her at, at the World Cup at the very least. And you have to imagine that if she's not planning to play for another four years, she's 40, so that would have been, that would have been quite Makes the sense. achievement anyway. How much longer is she planning to keep going? 
when most of the of the players that she came up with, or you know, not even came up with, she she outdated them before. Shepherded them yeah, into the program. Like, they've really. already yeah. come come and gone, uh, and and had their had their moment in the sun and their in their retirement games and so on and so forth. Like I can't imagine that those conversations are too far off for her. But that that is exactly where Canada is at. That yep. a missed penalty in the first game of the World Cup. And yes, the margins is are, almost too the much. The margins to are, are are fine for any team at a at a tournament like this. Well, but I think but it comes especially. It for comes Canada. down to that Nigeria game though, because they missed that penalty and they weren't able to find a goal. And better prepared sides or more talented sides, if you miss that penalty, you have another plan or you have another. You have the ability to find that goal that can get you that key result early in the tournament, so you're not in the position you were. Uh, against Australia, against a really, really good Australia side today, because this was always going to be a hard match. This was always going to be a really difficult match. Yeah, forget Last the circumstances one. of yeah. host needs to win to move on. Yeah, if if Australia had won its first two games, this still would have still been, would have been uh, tough. Yeah, because they still would be been tough. they would be looking at uh, how many times. I know this was a thing when Canada was playing here at at the World Cup in 2015. They relished the opportunities to play at home. So yep. it's not like even if Australia had secured their way through and was on six points after two games, that it would have been, well, we're just mailing this game in. No. Because the pride still, you're still that playing is on the line a really good in host your nation. host country yeah. is going to be it's going to be a big deal. Yeah, and it was too much in addition to everything else for Canada. They lose 4-0. They are out at the World Cup. Uh, lots to get into here. I mean, we, we, we only... Re- This is the only subject we hit in what happened. So we'll touch on the Lions, the Jays, lots of other stuff going around. We'll get to all of it later in the show, but we will continue uh, the soccer conversation. Haley McGoldrick of Sportsnet covering the World Cup for us. Uh, She is up next year. It's Halford and Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Halford and Bruff Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd and Israel Fair. Halford and Bruff brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Also by Johnstone's Barbecues. You don't pay more to shop with the experts at Johnstone's Barbecues. Open five days a week with two locations to serve you. Visit Johnstone's.com. We're live from the Kintech Studio. 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber. With three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Uh, and we are uh, waiting to get uh, Haley McGold- McGoldrick uh, from Sportsnet on the line. And in fact, we do now have her on the line. She was covering uh, the Women's World Cup for Sportsnet. And she joins us now to talk about the defeat for Canada at the hands of Australia. Uh, Haley, thank you very much for doing this. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. How are you guys? Yeah, we're we're doing well. It's our pleasure to have you on. I do wish it was under uh, slightly happier circumstances than what we have to talk about, kind of uh, a post-mortem on Canada at this tournament. But I mean, the result today, specifically, the 4-0 defeat to Australia. Look, this is a really difficult question. I think we're going to spend a lot of time parsing this one through. But in your opinion right now, how much of this is on Canada soccer? How much is on the players uh, for specifically what happened today? 
I think it's pretty split. I don't want to say it's an even split, but when it comes to Canada soccer, this team only had four friendlies coming into a World Cup. They didn't have a send-off game like many other countries have. They didn't even have the support, really. I spoke to Janine Becky before the tournament even kicked off, and she was saying, you know, I get that the women and men's schedules are different, but they have friendlies all the time. They're playing at BMO Fields. They're getting to play in Vancouver at BC Place, and the Canadian women's team isn't afforded those opportunities to play on home soil in front of fans and also just get that practice coming into the World Cup. And that's huge. And they obviously had a tentative deal, but that doesn't mean much because as soon as the competition's over, which for them it is now, they have to go back to fighting for that deal. And that's mentally and even physically exhausting having to deal with all of that. So that definitely is huge when it comes to the preparation for this World Cup. They were severely underprepared and under a lot of stress. But at the end of the day, it is the product that you put on the pitch also. And this is a team with so many stars, so many players playing in Europe, so many players playing in the NWSL, European champions, NWSL champions. And Mm -hmm. they just looked like they didn't have it out there today. There was lack of attack. There was no shot on target in the first half. They couldn't break down Australia's defense. And also even defensively, a team that looked pretty strong against Nigeria and had a decent showing against Ireland all of a sudden now is just kind of letting Haley Rosso walk right through them and play all over them. Sam Kerr was a non-factor in that game, which the whole narrative surrounding it is that she was finally going to be back to play Canada and they didn't even need her. And it just looked like they honestly didn't even want to be out there. And I know that's not the truth. And I know they were so upset after that game and genuinely heartbroken, but they just lacked the intensity they needed to be able to do anything in that game. I think when you look at the the lineup, Haley, and, and the, the, the choices, I guess, that Bev Priestman was put into position to make, we saw a lot of subs in the first couple of games as well. Uh, in the second game in particular, those subs tended to work out. But how, how much of that do you think has to do with the lack of preparation versus just the, the makeup of, of the roster at this particular World Cup? Yeah, selections are huge, and that's a big thing too. I think a lot of people were questioning Bev Priestman's choices because there were players like and Evelyn Viennes, like a Chloe Lacasse, who bring that energy. Chloe Lacasse was named Player of the Year in the Portuguese League. She had 35 goals and assists combined. She has that energy. She has that goal-scoring ability, and she's constantly coming off the bench, which, yes, when you're down 2-0 at halftime, you want somebody to be able to come off the bench and bring energy, but I think she deserved to start. I think a player like Evelyn Viennes deserved to start, and that's huge. And, of course, the team as a whole is so talented, and there is a little bit of depth. I think they lack depth in some certain positions, But all in all, they're talented enough to be able to not have a result like that. I mean, they're ranked seventh in the world. A lot of people are expecting them to make it out of the group stage. And, of course, Australia is the 10th-ranked team, so that was probably one of the toughest matches, and it sucked that the situation they were in, having to go into the match against one of the final toughest opponents in their final group stage. But I just think that they have what it takes to be able to win that game, and so the selections and the lineups were a little bit shocking, especially because at that point they truly had nothing to lose. It's win or go home, so why not try out something new? And it just felt like the safe options were being picked. Yeah, and, and you know, a big talking point coming into the tournament and then now certainly will be after this tournament as well is the the inability to consistently score from open play. As you said, there is talent on this team, and there are players that have successful goal-scoring records in leagues, as you mentioned with uh, Chloe Lacasse. Is it is it tactical? Is it uh, still a lack of attacking talent? What is behind the uh, the struggle to score from open play? Yeah, it's frustrating because there is so much talent. There are players, Chloe Lacasse, 
Jordan Heidemann, Christine Sinclair, who can score goals. And it just seems like there was a lack of chemistry at times. In the Nigeria game, Jesse Fleming's not there. We get it. She's really a general when it comes to the pitch. But she's there for the last few games, and it just felt like they didn't really have it together. They were a little bit lost. And this Canadian team especially struggles when they concede first. In the Ireland game, they kind of got that lucky break off that Grosso cross to the own goal to level the score because Canada really struggles when they concede first. And you saw that in this Australia game too, that they kind of just get the wind knocked out of their sails and they didn't have what it took to be able to score, but they have the talent and it's frustrating. Even in that first game, you saw Evelyn Viennes come on and she goes to the middle and Jordan Heidema is on the left side and Evelyn Viennes played so amazing in that role. And I just don't really understand why they're not having the ability to kind of get it together and tie it together because these players have played together as well. Yes, there are a few new faces at this World Cup, but they've played together a little bit. That does come with the lack of preparation that they've only had those four friendlies because there are a few new faces and they should have gotten a little bit more time to build that chemistry. But also there's just so much veteran presence and so much talent that there's not a lot of excuses for why you can say they weren't able to find the back of the net because they have such prolific goal scorers on this team who you've seen them score some worldly goals and like you said, they're struggling to even score from open play against teams. And not even just scoring from open play, they're barely getting shots off, which is a little bit concerning too. A player that for, for a long time, uh, for, for 20 years at this point, uh, has been a, a pretty consistent goal threat for Canada is obviously Christine Sinclair. Uh, she is unequivocally near the end of her career. Uh, what did you make of, of her presence at this World Cup? You know, not, not playing full matches, came on as a sub, uh, subbed off today after 45. I think that even though she has maybe lessened expectations because of, of her age, uh, she still is the player that uh, Canadian fans probably still most identify with, given uh, what she's done for the game overall and, and certainly what she's accomplished for Canada. Absolutely. And that was the biggest thing coming into this World Cup. Beth Friesen had said, Sink's not going to play full games. We know this. She's not on a minutes restriction, but she is 40 years old. You're not playing the same minutes you were when you were 20. But she's such a veteran on and off the pitch. And that's the biggest thing. I think a lot of people just look at her leadership, which is huge. So many of these players grew up idolizing Christine Sinclair. Now they get to play with her. And she's been there for every single moment of what seems to be Canada's peak in women's soccer, the program that wasn't even playing because they didn't qualify for a World Cup in 1991 and then their Olympic champions kind of sync was the turning point in 2003 when they had their best ever finish at the World Cup but she still has what it takes on the field she has huge IQ when it comes to the field absolutely she's a leader in that sense because she has been around the game so long it just seems so natural to her and she can score goals and I think in some moments even you look at the missed penalty and people were criticizing but you're not going to not pick Christine Sinclair to take a big penalty like that because she's been in so many big moments like that and I mean you saw Alex Morgan miss one after anyway so that was kind of validating but I think that she is just an icon and she deserved to be there it wasn't kind of a legacy goodbye she has what it takes on the field still too and I think that Yes, that was a really sad way to go out if that was her last World Cup match, which I believe it was. I saw that apparently she had taken some blades of grass from the pitch post-game and said, I want to take part of my last World Cup game ever with me. But she was there for a reason. It wasn't just because she's a legend to say goodbye. Players like her and Sophie Schmidt, you saw what they added on the pitch. They're brilliant on the pitch, leaders off the pitch, and deserve to be part of that World Cup roster. Yeah, as you, I, I'm glad you mentioned Sophie Schmidt there as well, because it does sound like this will be her final appearance for Canada. And obviously she has been 
uh, extremely influential for the program. And even against Ireland, I thought she came on and really changed that game and helped them get the win. So she was still doing it on the pitch as well. With with Sophie Schmidt and obviously Christine Sinclair, and we'll see, you know, how many more games Christine Sinclair plays uh, for the team. But, you know, you're starting to get to the end uh, of the Christine Sinclair era. How do you begin to fill the void as Canada soccer, as the as the women's national team on the pitch, off the pitch, left by players like Christine Sinclair and Sophie Schmidt? You don't. That's the thing. You cannot replicate what those players have given to this program. They've been through so much together they went from a team that was kind of not really known for soccer Canada was never known as a soccer country to winning that bronze medal in London and then winning again in Rio and it suddenly isn't good enough your program has gotten to a point where it's so good that a bronze medal is not good enough and you go to Tokyo and you win that Olympic gold and that was just such a huge milestone for Canadian soccer because it was such a long time coming but also when it comes to the World Cup they haven't seen the results they wanted and that's a big part of this program is that, yes, we've maybe had Olympic success, but the World Cup, they all say, is a harder competition to play in because there's so much more diversity and so much more stronger programs. And those are players who have been through the lowest of lows and the highest of highs. And they're at the end of their careers, and they could say, well, I'm walking away from the game, so nothing really matters to me. And they're still fighting for that equity. They're fighting Canada soccer for everything that this women's team deserves. And they've seen it all, and they want better for future generations. You know, the U17 and U20 teams also didn't make it past the group stage of the World Cup, and that's just unacceptable because they need to have a strong youth program to be able to bring up the next generation to replace them. And so you you can't replace what they bring, not only on the field, but off the field, because just the experience, everything they've been through, but also what they do bring. Like you said, Sophie Schmidt absolutely was that difference maker in the Ireland game. She came on. She wasn't afraid to challenge. She had that tenacity, that intensity. She assisted that Leon goal. She was the difference. She gave Canada that little bit of hope that maybe we can make it past the group stage. And so there's not a player. uh, There's players who have leadership qualities. I think the one great thing about this Canadian soccer team, I mean, there's lots of great things, but one of them is that, Everybody is sort of a leader. They all take on that leadership role, even the younger players, players like Julia Grosso and Jordan White. Oh, my goodness. Jordan Heinema, who have been around for a while. They are leaders because, yes, they're very young, but they've played in so many big competitions. And so there are leaders who they can pass the torch to. But I just don't think you can replace those players as a whole and who they are because of just what they bring to Canadian soccer. One theory I've been mentioning, Haley, is that uh, this women's program in particular have been concerned long term uh, about keeping up with not just the Americans, but sort of the emerging teams around the world, uh, that the the women's game just is continually and pretty pretty rapidly getting stronger and stronger. How much of that have you seen uh, at this World Cup for for the teams uh, that Canada is now just trying to keep pace with? Oh, it's so true. And I think the biggest thing, too, is that you might look at a country like a Colombia and think, well, that's a South American team. Yes, Brazil is the goat of all South American teams. But you have so many players now who are playing in Europe, who are playing in organized leagues. And I think that's the biggest thing, too, is that, A, the need for a domestic league in Canada is huge. And building that Canadian talent and having that network that Canadian players can play in because as much as the NWSL is there and we do have a lot of our players playing in Europe, it's not a direct pipeline. And there's a lot of people who do miss out on those opportunities because the gap is closing. You look at even a team like Morocco, who's ranked in the seventies and they just won because the talent is there. It's playing 
overseas. They're playing in big leagues and getting that exposure. And so Canada absolutely needs to keep up. And as I was saying before, it comes from the youth programs as well. The youth programs have been underperforming a little bit as well. They've exited the group stage in both the U-17 and U-20 World Cups, and that's just unacceptable because you look at Colombia, for example, as I said before, Linda Casado, she's incredible. She plays for Real Madrid, but she was part of that U-17 and U-20 World Cup for Colombia, was a prolific goal scorer in both of those, comes to the world stage, upsets Germany with Colombia because they just have that talent, and I think Canada really needs to develop that. And a domestic league would be huge for that because there's just not the opportunities right now as well. Yes, the NWSL is rapidly expanding, and it's great to see teams like Angel City and San Diego, but Canadians aren't just getting those opportunities. There's players fighting for those positions all around the world. And so having something to develop those opportunities would be huge because the rest of the world absolutely is catching up and Canada's not doing enough to be able to develop new talent. You know, that's a really interesting point, about, especially about the uh, the youth programs and their performance at their respective World Cups. Should those results and this result, you know, I, I, we're, we're going to talk a lot about the dispute between Canada soccer and the players and how much that played into it. But should we see kind of look at this kind of a little bit more globally, uh, looking at the whole, the whole program and and take this as a bit of an alarm that, you know what, it's not even if they do get a, a resolution to the payment dispute that Canada soccer kind of needs to rethink things in a much bigger way about how we're developing players and and setting our teams up for success going forward. Oh, absolutely. It's huge because, as we said, that's the future. Players like Sophie Schmitz, Christine Sinclair are going to walk away from the game. So who's taking those roster spots? It's the youth, and you want to have a strong youth program. You look at the United States, they're just constantly reloading. You look at players like Sophia Smith, like Trinity Rodman, who Trinity Rodman is the highest paid player at 21 years old. She's incredible, and that's because of the way that they've developed their system playing through the college system as well, I think that's really big too. We don't have as strong as a college program here in Canada. A lot of players do end up playing NCAA if they want to go play in college. But I think that that is where it starts because, yeah, we do have a lot of talented players on the current roster. But five years from now, you don't know who's going to be playing anymore. Then even four years from now, the next World Cup, you're going to have some new faces on that roster and it comes from the youth program and that's something they need to look at because you can't just scramble and think okay who am I going to be able to pull on this roster and you saw Olivia Smith make her World Cup debut today and she's 18 years old and she's incredible and she's kind of the start of that next generation but we can't just have one 18 year old be (laughs) you know the next generation we need a whole roster of them so developing that is huge. A couple more minutes here with Haley McGoldrick uh, covering the World Cup for Sportsnet. And, okay, so what's net? That's kind of a big picture, you know, things that need to happen uh, in terms of domestic league and the development program. Looking a little more near term, what's next for the women's program in terms of trying to recapture some of the momentum they had after winning the gold medal? I I was saying earlier in the show, that's the big frustrating thing for me is, you know, you're at the top of of the soccer world after winning the gold medal at the Olympics, and then you follow it up for performance like this in the near term how do they start to get kind of back on track and reestablish the program well the biggest thing is that they have their olympic qualifier against jamaica coming up in the fall they have a home and away leg against jamaica and so winning that they need to qualify for the olympics that's the biggest thing to be able to get anywhere near on track because if they don't qualify for the olympics then it's like yeah, you are preparing for the next World Cup and the CONCACAF Women's Championship to qualify for that World Cup. But that's the biggest thing. I think playing together, too, is huge because of the way that the women's schedule is. This team doesn't get a lot of time 
together. And that was what was so frustrating about not having proper preparations coming into this World Cup due to the disputes with Canada soccer. And so being fully prepared for that game, I think that I don't want to say coming home from the World Cup early is a good thing because it's not. We obviously wanted Canada to progress pretty far, but being able to plan and have a plan of attack going into those qualifiers is the biggest thing because qualifying for the Olympics, I think, will get a little bit more of a spark for them. And then they're playing next summer as well in a big competition and maybe winning that. And as I said before, I know the World Cup is a little bit of a stronger and harder competition to win than the Olympics, but that's still huge. And being the defending Olympic champions, you want to be able to go into Paris and defend your Olympic title. And I think that's the biggest thing. And they're going to be fighting for that deal through all this as well, which is mentally and physically exhausting. And so that's what they're going to be focusing on. But I think that Canada soccer has to do their part and give them the support they deserve because it was very apparent at this World Cup that they just weren't supported and prepared. And Canada soccer had a lot to do with that. Haley, really appreciate the time this morning. Uh, As I said, I wish it was under happier circumstances, but thanks for your insight. Uh, Thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for having me. Take care. That is Haley McGoldrick, uh, who was covering the World Cup for Sportsnet. You can follow her uh, on Twitter at Goldie on Sports. And I thought that was a fascinating point. I I haven't really heard people make that connection, right? Looking at the U-20 and the U-17 World Cup performances uh, for the Canadian women. Also disappointing Mm -hmm. and That should be extraordinarily concerning, right? That we're seeing the end of the Christine Sinclair and the Sophie Schmidt era. And you hope that that next generation is coming up and there's going to be this wave of really impressive talent that can kind of, not one or two of them, but as a whole, fill that void and provide that depth. And, I mean, we're seeing why that's going to be so important at this World Cup. And I think that should make Canadian soccer fans really nervous, right? That... It's not just, okay, because you could talk yourself uh, talk yourself into the idea that, look, the talent's there, the players are going to be fine. Once they resolve the dispute with Canada soccer, get everything on the, on the tracks, and they'll be fine. They'll go back to being a really strong uh, performer. The lack of de- development, or once you're concerned about the development on the youth side, then all of a sudden, well, they could reach a new deal, but is it going to matter? Is the, is the rest of the world just going to s- surge past them like we're starting to see here? The growth is explosive in some of these countries. And for Canada, the talent has always been there on the high end to the point that when Canada plays its best game, which has often been you know, a defensively sound yeah. game where they can get a goal, maybe two, usually Christine Sinclair involved, that's a winning formula. But the margin of error is shrinking so fast right now because – the investment being made in a number of countries, particularly in Europe, but as Haley mentioned, somewhere like Colombia, mm-hmm. Morocco, for example, yep. is is striking, and it's it's not enough to skate by. And I guess my final point on this is that my my hope is that we don't look back at this as just a huge wasted opportunity yeah. by the federation because it's not a flash in the pan. You know, Christy, the Christine Sinclair era spans 20 years. We're talking about multiple runs at the Olympics. We're talking about hosting a World Cup and going into a couple of World Cups with expectations to build off the Olympic success. And we, so that has provided us a window into the flaws because they it's not like it's just been complete dominance. They have these ups and downs, and we are privy to what has led to some of those ups and downs, yeah. some of those flaws. And that makes it, I just, I just hope that five, 10 years from now, we don't look back and go, wow, remember when the Canadian 
women's soccer program was one of the best in the world, and look how far they've fallen. I will say this. Christine Sinclair has done her part to build soccer in this country more than could be reasonably expected Where from you can anyone point individual. To so many players on this roster as her being the driving yeah. force, but behind them getting to play with her. She has, she has done more than you could ever expect one person to do to build a sport in a country. It's the job now of Canada soccer to not let that be temporary, right? To make sure it's durable and sustainable. To take what she's built and the groundwork she's laid and find a way to make sure you're having consistent success on the world stage. Because ultimately, I think if you don't do that, and if the program's fortunes take a kind of semi-permanent downturn after Christine Sinclair leaves, like that's frankly disrespectful to her legacy. They have a duty to build on what she started for them, to maintain what she's built for them. And if they're not able to do that, man, they are going to enjoy they're going to deserve all of the criticism uh that they get. Because again, she has done it's, her it's part such a and legacy. More. Her part and more, and now they have to protect that legacy uh, as her career looks like it's winding up. All right, we talked a lot uh, about Canada at the World Cup, but there's, man, there was so much going on this weekend that we haven't had a chance to get to, uh, including it is Major League Baseball's trade deadline tomorrow. The Jays have made a deal already. We will talk to our guy, Adnan Verk from MLB Network, coming up next here on Halford & Bruff, Sportsnet 650.